Go ahead and grab your Bible and your notes. You can jot down a few things as we study God's Word. If you're new to Victory, we like to take notes because we believe that God will speak to us in these times that we have together. Uh, and when He does, it's important to write those things down. Something out of His Word that just grabs onto you. And you start to write those things down. And then later on in your spiritual journey, in your journey of faith... Uh, you reference those. That's what it's for. It's for when God speaks to you in a time like this, then when you go through something, you can say, oh, I remember what God told me. So you can reference those. If you prefer, uh, you can do a fill-in-the-blank version in the Victory Church app. Uh, you can do that on your cell phone. Uh, save it. Email it to yourselves if that's how you prefer to do it. I just wanted to ask, though, how many of you enjoyed Bruce last weekend? How many enjoyed, right? It's just an awesome time, uh, awesome chance together. I mean, it's just, a, just an awesome experience when Bruce comes. Uh, and he always speaks on faith, always has this incredible, you know, stories that he tells, all these things that he begins to just to build our faith up. And so what I thought I would do, though, this Sunday right after that is when we've had that chance just to hear those stories of faith and of God working and of God doing things. I thought I would gather together a lot of the questions that you guys have asked about faith. Because a lot of times after we've had a service like that, we usually get a lot of questions, not only in the week after, uh, but then throughout the year about, okay, well, I heard those stories and I was built in my faith. I, I really just, I felt that inside of me, but I've got some questions about it. And this comes not only from the You Asked For It series, because after Easter we sent out those surveys and you guys asked a lot of questions then. Uh, you asked a lot of questions about faith, and we didn't get to answer all of those during that series. And so I gathered some of those, uh, and then some conversations that I've had with a few of you during the year where you've asked these questions, a couple of them you texted in, uh, we've had these questions about faith. So I thought we would just spend this Sunday just working through what that looks like, what those questions, what the answers that from God's Word are about those questions about faith. And so we're going to wrestle with the life of faith and some of the questions that you have. So question number one, it might be kind of self-evident to you then, what is faith? Because if we're going to have these, these moments where we're saying, okay, my faith is, is built and that's great and, and faith, 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 then what is faith? What, what is it? What is the actual? And probably the answer might surprise you. It might not be exactly what you think it is. So we're going to kind of use Hebrews 11 verse 1. I've taught out of this before, but this will be kind of our, our launch pad for the rest of the service. And it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so we're going to get to the supporting content here in just a second. But I want to focus on this word faith. Got it highlighted there for you, right? The word faith there in the Greek New Testament, there's only one word for faith. In the Greek New Testament, throughout the all New New Testament, it uses this word faith. And it's a word that means trust that produces actions. And so it's a trust. Faith is a trust, but it's a trust with the implication that actions would follow based on that trust. And so you can't have faith if all you have is just the trust because it says it's trust that produces actions. Actions that follow. It moves us actually to do something. It moves us to do so. So James chapter 2 kind of echoes that sentiment. James chapter 2 verse 17. It says, faith by itself in the same way, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. Come on, somebody. It's going to be dead up in this church. If we don't, it, it says faith by itself if it's not accompanied. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. No, the translation said, I have deeds. And he said, well, show me. He said, you have faith, I have works. So we're separated. But he, he's saying, the writer of James, he says, show me your faith. Apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, by what I do. He's saying faith apart from works is dead. He said, try to show it to me. I'll show you. It doesn't exist. Try to show me your faith without your works. It doesn't exist. And so this argument that Scripture is making here is that faith has to translate from just a belief, just a belief system, into something tangible that you do. It has to always be accompanied actions that are based on that trust, trust that produces action. It has to impact the way that we live our daily life. You look at the teachings of Jesus, it echoes this as well. 
Because the teachings of Jesus in Scripture and all throughout, you find this different life that God has called us to live. If God has called us to live a life of faith, he's called us to live a different life. And the life that you and I embrace, this life of faith, is so much, it's so different than the way that the world lives their lives. It's so different from the way that the world says that you have to live your life because the kingdom of heaven operates on different principles. If you read throughout the Bible, you just read it cover to cover, you'll notice there are so many principles that are completely different than what is being taught by the world today. And so if you want to live the life of faith, you have to live a life different than what the population of the world is living. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, I'm going to throw as many verses as I can at you guys today because it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. Mark chapter 10, he says, Jesus called them together. She gets a little huddled together of his disciples. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, so the people who are above them, he says they lord it over them. So that's what it looks like for the Gentiles. They lord over. They love to have the influence. They love to be in charge. They love to be the boss. They love to be the assistant to the regional manager. Come on, somebody. It makes them feel good. It says the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's how leadership in the world works. But then he says, not so with you. You need to start saying that phrase in your families, all right? You want to have a phrase that you can take home and say in your house. You need to start saying this, not so with you. Because it doesn't matter if everybody else is on that particular social media or everybody else is playing 75 different sports, right? It doesn't matter if everyone else is going to that thing or everyone else is allowed to do that or go there or be that or that, but not so with you. It doesn't matter if everybody else is allowed to watch or do or whatever it is, it doesn't mean that we're going to. Not so with you. That's what Jesus says, not so with you. You remember that when you were younger and your mom would say, if everybody else jumped off the bridge, would you jump off? The problem in my household is I'm usually the one jumping off the bridge, encouraging everyone to come with me, right, to come along. That's not the point. That's not the point this morning. Not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus says, instead of whoever wants to become great among you must become the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And all throughout Scripture, you'll find that things are different. Leadership is different. Financial prosperity is different. Living your life the way of the world, the way that we live is different. Blessing is different. The way the Bible describes these different things, the world would say, well, just, just do whatever feels good. The world would say, well, whatever, whatever you feel in the moment, whatever's best for you selfishly, go ahead and do that thing. But the Bible says, no, no, if you want to be great, you become the servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to become like a slave of all. For the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, as you see me do, you do. As you've seen me do, now you go out and live that way. And the principles in the Bible so many times are counterintuitive to the way that we think the world works. We think, well, if I'm going to be great, then I have to pour my life into this, and I have to become the boss, and I have to do that and this and that. But the Bible's saying, if you want to be great, you want to find a life that is worth living, then you give yourself away. You begin to live for other people. You give yourself up for other people. Jesus said, I gave my life for others. And that's the way that we're called to do. Well, the Bible prophesied that that wouldn't always be the case in the church, even though Jesus modeled it and set it out on the right path. He said that we would fall. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it said, there will be terrible times in the last days, which I believe we're living in. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceit. Come on, somebody. It's a long list. Lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. 
highlighted that last part on there because I think this is the one that's the most dangerous to the church. All the other ones were like, okay, I know that's bad. I know this is having the form of godliness but denying the power. In other words, they would do spiritual things. They would look really spiritual, but they wouldn't let it change their life. Wouldn't let it change their lifestyle. Wouldn't let it actually affect what they're doing. Wouldn't let their faith go so far as to be actually producing actions. They would have a form of godliness. They would say, okay, we're spiritual, but they wouldn't let it affect their lifestyle. And we're living in this generation. In fact, there's a recent poll of just Americans that said that 94% of Americans believe in some form of a higher power. So 94% said, okay, I believe in some form of a God, something above me. But only 7% said that that belief was actually affecting the way that they lived their lives. And that's a tragedy. 94% say, okay, I believe in God. But only 7% said, okay, now it's actually affecting what I do in my day-to-day life. And the Bible is calling us to have a true faith, to have a faith that actually influences our actions, that actually produces our actions. Because if it's not influencing your life, it's not really faith. I don't know if I could say it a little bit nicer. I don't think there is a nice way to say that. But if it's not influencing the way that you live your life, if your faith is not actually producing actions, then it's not really faith. It's not a true faith. So jot it down if you're taking notes today. Here's the first point. That is faith isn't faith until it moves from ideology to methodology. Until it actually be something, becomes something that impacts your daily life. Until it becomes something that impacts what you do, it's not really faith. It can't just be an ideology in your life. If you're raising kids like the world, if you're spending your money like the world, if you're living your life and acting in your marriage like the world does, if you're doing everything else that the world does, then you're going to get the results that the world gets. Because it's not really faith. It's not really faith. God's called us to live a different life. So faith by definition, again, jot it down if you're taking notes. Faith by definition is trust that produces actions. It's trust that produces actions. It's saying, I believe in God to the point that I'm willing to take a step of faith. I believe in God to the point that I'm willing to step out and do what he says. We forget that second part of the sentence a lot of times in our own journey of faith. Because we just want the ideology. Come on, I can read some good verses. I can get that ideology. I can put some stuff on my fridge. But until it affects our day-to-day lives, until it affects our actions. Another great question that then kind of stems from that, it comes up a lot of times, is then why is it so easy to put faith in everything but God? Why is it so easy to put faith in everything else? Because if faith is something that trust that produces actions, and we all have actions, and we all have trust and faith in something. We all put our faith in something, but so many times it's easy to put it in everything else except for God. It's just, it's just a natural progression in our human minds to put it in everything else. We'll go back to our text, Hebrews chapter 11. Just want to kind of walk you through it. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Well, by definition, that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but it makes me just a little bit uncomfortable that God operates in the realm of the unseen. And so as humans, we're not really all that comfortable with that because it's a lot easier for us to put faith in things that we can't see. To put faith in our trust in the things that are seen. For those of us even who are Christ followers, it's a lot easier for us to put our faith in the things that are earthly things that are seen. And even if we're in our journey of faith and God has worked in our lives, even in that journey a lot of times, it's easy to put our faith in the blessing instead of the blesser. Because we can see the blessing. Even when God has moved in our life, we suddenly we latch on to that thing. Children of Israel did it so many times in the Old Testament where God would give something. He would give manna or he would give a, a, a statue to look up to that would represent and they would be healed and they would be due. He would give these different things and suddenly they would take that thing that God gave and they would worship it. And they said, okay, I can see that thing, so we're going to hold on to it. There was a bronze serpent after a, 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 a plague had hit the camp that God had sent. 
And God has Moses raise up this bronze servant. And the children of Israel, after they are healed, and they look to it, and it's this representation of God healing their camp. After that, they take this thing, and they revere it for hundreds of years. They begin to bow down to it. And it's not until Gideon that he goes in, and he has to break this thing into pieces to release them from their bondage. So many times when we're blessed, so many times when God does a work in our life, we want to hold on to that thing. And God is saying, okay, that was for that season, but our worship belongs to God. Our worship belongs to God, but we try to just hold on to the temporal. And a lot of times it's because God can be hard to understand sometimes. And so we'll get to that in just a minute that we think. But I actually think it's a good thing, though, that God is so much bigger than the things that we can see. It's so much more complicated than the things that we can hold on to, the things that we can understand. Because if God was small enough for me to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. If God was small enough for my mind to understand, I don't know about your mind, but if he was small enough for my mind to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. Because God, and and I praise him that he is so much bigger than that because he sees things from a different perspective than I see him. He's got a different vantage point than we've got. And so that's why we, we can worship a God who's so much bigger than our understanding. So much bigger than what we can see. But instead, we try to latch on to the things that we can see, the temporal. And Isaiah 44 talks about this. I like this guy, by the way. He talks about this guy. He has this piece of wood in Isaiah 44. He's got this piece of wood and he cuts it in half and he uses half of the piece of wood to light a fire. And he makes a meal and he cooks it over the fire and he stays warm in front of the fire. But then he takes the other half of this piece of wood that he just cut in half. He takes the other half and he whittles it into an idol. And he falls down in front of it and he prays to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. And probably your reaction would probably be like scripture is here, right? Such stupid. That's just stupid. That's just ignorance. That's just ridiculous. Like we just we begin to think like why it just seems ridiculous in our modern thing. But it says because eyes are closed that they cannot see and minds are shut. They cannot think. And the person that made the idol never stopped to think maybe I shouldn't bow down to the piece of wood. The person who cut this thing in half already, used it to make the fire, cook his food, then turned around and made the idol. He never stops to think, okay, maybe I shouldn't bow down. It's just a block of wood. And while that story seems ridiculous to us, so many times in our own lives, we have that tendency to bow down to the temporal. We have that tendency to start to worship the things that we can see and the things that we can latch on to. And so we set up these things that are very, very temporal, these things that are fleeting, and we begin to worship them. So we worship titles. And we worship finances. And we begin to worship all these other things in our lives. We'll worship the car and we'll worship the house. And we'll trade portions of our lives for these things. We'll begin to trade all these things and we never stop to think, maybe I shouldn't bow down to the car. Maybe I shouldn't bow down. Is it just all about the 401k or the finances or or my, my security blanket? Is that what I'm worshiping? And a lot of times Isaiah is warning us, even with a thing we think is ridiculous, but we translate it to our own culture and we do the same thing. We begin to bow down to the things that are temporal. And it says that the poor deluded fool, it says in the next verse after that, it says the poor deluded fool feeds on ashes and he trusts something that can't help him at all. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Let that not be us. Come on, somebody. Not so with you. Not so with you. And the truth, though, is it's easy for us to place our things in those because even though they're temporal and even though at least we feel safe because we can see them, at least we feel safe because it feels predictable. And yet if we take a step back from it, we realize that we're putting our faith in something that doesn't last at all, something that cannot rescue you. 
We're putting our faith in something that's not even worth the time of day to look at, and yet we're putting all of our trust in it. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen. So get your eyes off of that, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, so what is seen is the temporal. What is seen is the thing that's going to pass away, the things that's going to burn. It's the things that we'll never, ever take with us, but what is unseen, that's God. That's the eternal. That's where God operates. That's in the spiritual realm. So the reason why we wrestle with this then is because faith is trusting something that's unseen. You want to know what faith is? Faith is trust that produces action, but that trust is trusting in what's unseen. Not only believing that God is who he says he is, that he exists, but it's a challenge for us because he's unseen. So the next question that comes up a lot of times, and this comes from a verse. I understand why someone wrote it this way. And so I'm going to explain to you where the question came from. But the question was, then why is it impossible to please God without faith? And it comes from a verse. It's in verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's where this question comes from, just to kind of set the stage for you. And then I'll show you why. It says, because anyone who comes to God has to believe that he exists. I know that kind of sounds a little uh, counterintuitive, right? You might not understand that. But anyone who comes to God has to first believe that he exists. But not only that, two parts to this, but then also that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Because here's the deal. You cannot please God without faith because you can't even have a relationship with God without faith. You can't even approach God without faith because it's faith that takes it to believe first that God exists and second that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is a relationship word. And it's impossible to please God without faith because it's impossible to have a relationship without faith because God wants to have that relationship. That's what pleases God is a relationship with you because we're created for his pleasure. We're created for God's pleasure. And so to have that relationship that God is looking for, you have to have faith. Created to be in intimacy with him. So we want to please him. We're in relationship with him. And in relationship with him, we have to have faith to believe. Not only does he exist, but then the second part, and this is where so many people trip up. And that is then you also have to have the faith to overcome what religion and the devil would lie to you and say, well, then if God does exist, well, he doesn't love you. Well, if God does exist, then he's just waiting to judge you and he's just waiting to bring the hammer down and he just is mad at you all the time. No, that's not what the verse says. The verse says you have to have faith to believe he exists, but then also faith to understand that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that takes some more faith, I think, that some of us are be willing to have. Where we say, not only does God exist, but God loves me. It takes faith to believe that not only does God exist, but that a God that who is like he is could love a person who is like I am. It takes faith to believe that. So impossible to please God without faith because it's impossible to have that relationship without faith because faith is required for relationship. And trust is then required for faith. We had that definition, trust that produces action. Then trust is a relationship word because you can't have trust and you can't have faith in God if you don't trust him. You don't trust him to be who he says he is because we can trust him to be good when times are good. We can believe that God is good when we're walking through, but when things turn bad and we have to actually have faith that, okay, God is still good, a lot of times that's where we let our faith kind of dwindle. But trust is a relationship word. You can't have a relationship without that trust. Not only does God exist, yeah, but then he also has good plans for my life. He also has a purpose for me. And you got to believe that in your own life. So another great question is we continue in this life of faith. So we're building trust. We're building faith that produces action. I'm growing and I'm I'm believing in the unseen. I'm taking that leap of faith. I want that relationship with God. But then we say, okay, now I want to build my faith. 
So how do I build my faith? If if I'm on board, I really want this, but my faith is just small. How do I build it up? How do I begin to build it? Well, back to our text, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is that substance of things hoped for. So I believe that faith is a spiritual muscle. Faith is one of those spiritual muscles that you can't, and just to put it in our context, you can't head down, right, to LA Fitness, get yourself a one-month membership. Come on, somebody. I've been in Cuba for a week, so La Fitness, right? You can't, you can't head down to Planet Fitness. You can't do any of those things and jump on the treadmill one time for five minutes and say, bam, 20 years of being out of shape, but man, I did it now, right? I did it. I took those five minutes. I was on that treadmill one time. I was there. I was there. Look at me now. Look at me go. And you can't say that. No, you've got to work out those muscle groups. You've got to go back day after day after day, aerobic, anaerobic. You've got to continue to work on those things. And you've got to develop those muscles because it's a process. Well, faith is the same way. Faith is a process that we begin to build. We can't just say, okay, I put my faith in God. I pray one prayer and now I'm just living a life of faith. Man, my faith is just, just sky. I'm just living every day, day in, day out. No, faith is every day following what God has called us to do. It's faith, it's trust that produces actions. Every day following, looking in the scripture and saying, okay, this is what my life is supposed to look like. I'm going to continue to trust God and continue to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to continue to live my life of faith day after day, taking steps of trust. And we look in the Bible and we see all these promises that God has for us. We promises for blessing and for victory and for peace in your life. And faith is this day-to-day action that continues to build that muscle in your life continues to build. If you're going to live a life of faith, you have to live a life of vision. You've got to have a target that you're heading towards, something that God has given you, something that you're working towards. You've got to have that vision because day after day, God's going to call you to continue to live that life of faith. And if you're not in it for the long haul, if you can't see what it's going to be, then you'll give up all the way because you say, well, I don't see a difference. I worked out for two days and I didn't get slimmer. And so I don't know, you know, I just, I don't know if this thing is working out. But if you've got that vision of what it's going to be, Then in the day in and the day out, you continue to build your faith. You believe that you can live the life God has called you to have. It takes steps for your faith to grow. Last week, we got a chance to be in this church in the north side of Cuba. 25 of us down there on the north side of Havana on the coast. We got a chance to step into this church Sunday night at 8 o'clock. 300 people just cheering and worshiping and singing and dancing and praising God. It's incredible how God is moving. It's incredible. There's no other church like it in the world. Where God is moving in this oppression, God is moving in this country that God is doing. We got a chance as a team to go to three different church plants in the city to see how God is moving. Just an incredible thing. We got to see that fruit that they're working down there to just doing incredible things in that church. But five years ago, the first team from Victory, we stood in that backyard where it was just a tree and some grass and a little hut. And we got to talk with Pastor Lyon about God's vision that he had and how he felt like this was what God was calling him to. But there was nothing there. And so God didn't say, okay, how about tomorrow there'll be hundreds of people and three church plants and all this, this influence and all this stuff and I'll be moving and all these different things and here you go, you know, good luck with it. No, God called him to then be faithful. He was leading a Bible study underneath that tree. And then we came back and you guys gave money to send down there and we built this tin structure where they could have Bible studies in the sunlight when it was too hot and they could build this roof to have it under. And then every year something different where God was moving day in, day out, continue to be faithful in the outreaches until last week we took 25 people to stand in that church and to see those hundreds of people coming to God and just worshiping Him. But it didn't all happen the next day right after because faith is steps, faith is trust. Faith is continuing to build, continue to build day after day after day where they're faithful. They're faithful into what God has called them to do. They can see the target. They can have that vision. It's not like you're just going blindly. They can see that vision. But then it's the day in and the day out where you continue to build your faith. 
The faith has built the life of faith. So the last question then as we finish today. Last question is probably the most difficult of all of them. Probably the most difficult. It's probably the one that some of you have been thinking throughout this entire message. We're thinking, okay, that's great. I'm, I'm on board. Some of you are thinking, I'm fired up. I want to have that life of faith. I'm going to believe God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I'm going to continue to build that this week. Continue to pray. Continue to read my Bible. I just, I want to see that. It's all great. I want to, I want to put my trust in him. But then what happens when tragedy strikes? Or what happens when our faith doesn't work the way that we think it should work? What happens when God doesn't work the way we think he should work? What happens when you feel like, okay, I'm in a life of faith and yet it doesn't work out how I thought it would? What happens when you pray for somebody and they don't get better? What happens when you step out in faith? What happens when your marriage falls apart? What happens when you bury a loved one? What do you do with that? Where does that come into your faith? How does living a life of faith when it feels like God's not doing his part? That's how I would take you to John chapter 10, verse 10. That Jesus reminds us that there is a thief in this world. And that he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do you remember early in Jesus' ministry, where he's tempted by the devil. Before he's, about before he's going to start his full ministry, he's tempted by the devil. The devil takes him up and he says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and I'll give you all these things. He gives him a shortcut to his destiny. He says, I'll give you all those things if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus doesn't contest his right to give it. He doesn't give into it, but he doesn't contest the right to give it. And we have to remember that in this world, there is an enemy. There is an adversary. There is someone who's all he's looking for is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's always working behind the scenes in sin and in chaos and in tragedy and in these different things to knock us off the path that God has for us. He's always working to do those things, and nobody is immune to it. It's the world that we live in. So how do you reconcile that with an all-loving God? If you want to have faith in this God that we believe in and we put our trust in, then how do you reconcile these things? Because we live in a world that's broken. And anybody who tells you differently is lying to you to make you feel good. We live in a world that's broken, a world full of pain, full of sickness, full of problems. We continue to live in that world. And the comfort, though, that we have, that nobody else has, as Jesus says, but I have come, that you have life. He says, I know where you're living in, and it's not that Jesus is going to rescue us out of, but he says, in the midst of it, I've come that you have life, and not just a little bit of life, but you would have it to the full. That you would have it to the fullest. In Romans chapter 8, we sang this this morning. And I don't know if you're in the middle of adversity. I don't know where, where you are in your walk. I don't know where you are when you came in these doors. But it says, we know that in all things. And a lot of times we skip over those and we kind of substitute. We say, well, I know that in good things. I know that in good times, but it says in all things, in good times and in bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Look, I can't pretend to have every answer. And I'm not going to pretend and make up something to let you know, okay, this is why you're walking through or why you had to go through that pain or you had to go through this thing. But this is what I do know. That God is working it together for the good. All things. And if it's not good yet, then God's not finished. If it's not good yet, then God's not finished because he's continuing to work it. He's continuing to work in your life. And sometimes when we face the loss of a loved one or we're in the midst of a tragedy and we can't see where is God in this, we can't understand how he could possibly redeem the situation. We don't understand how he could possibly redeem that circumstance, how he could possibly bring it to be good. We can't comprehend. We can't understand. It's in those moments that we understand we have to trust God that he's bigger than we are. That he has a different perspective than we have, a different vantage point, And he is working it together for good. If you want to have faith in your life, it's trust. It's trust that produces action. 
And so what do we do in the meantime when life is frustrating, when life is disappointing, when life doesn't work out the way that we thought it would? Do we stop believing in God? Do we stop praying for people? Do we stop fighting for our children and for our marriages? Do we, do we stop? No. We continue to trust. Because faith isn't understanding everything that happens. Faith isn't calling you to understand the entire universe. Faith isn't calling you to understand all of God's plan. Faith is calling you to trust. Faith is trust that produces. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible tells us, what do we do when everything falls apart? What do we do when everything doesn't go the way we think? It says we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. Because not only is he the one who gave us the faith, but in the midst of the adversity, he's the one who's perfecting it. You want to know how to have faith in your life, even in adversity. You want to know how to have faith in your life, even in, in tragedy. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Not only is he the author who gave us that faith, but he's the perfecter of it. Because at the end of the day, faith isn't understanding, it's trusting. It's trusting. I don't know if this will take a weight off of you. God didn't call you to understand everything. God didn't call you to understand and to figure everything out. But he did call you to trust. He called you to trust. You want to hold on to your faith in the middle of chaos, in the middle of tragedy, when it feels like God is a million miles away. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if it's not good, God's not finished. And he's got a plan that he's working out for your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I just want to pray that God would help all of us to begin to build that life of faith. That God would help every person to begin to build that in their lives, that feeling of trust that produces action. That we would learn to put our trust in him. But first, I just want to take a moment and talk to those of you who maybe haven't placed your trust in him. And you've walked away from God at some point in your life and you felt like you had a good reason to because you walked through something, some tragedy or some problem or some hurt. And you turned your back on God. I want you to know this morning that he's calling you. And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. I want you to know this morning that God loves you. That he wants you. I don't care if nobody else wanted you. God wants you. His heart is for you. He's been pursuing you. That's why all of us spend our lives searching. It's because God made us with that God-shaped hole in our lives. And nothing else will satisfy it but him. So I don't know where you are today in your walk or in your journey or in your spiritual life. I don't know where you are. I don't know how far you may have run from God, but I'm telling you, he's calling you back. And if you would just take that first step of faith towards him. He's searching for you. It would be my honor to help you take that step today. Nobody else is looking around. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. But if that's you today, you say, I want to take that step. I just want to pray with you. And as we pray, I just want to ask yourself, do I really trust him? Do I really trust him to be who he says he is? Is it to the point where that trust is impacting your life? If that's you today, you say, I want that. I want to put my trust in him. I want it to be an authentic faith. That changes the way that I live. That produces action. 
That's a true faith before my God. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not in this to embarrass you in front of your friends and family. I just want to connect you with Jesus. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But would you do me the favor, if that's you today, you say, include me in that prayer. I want to put my trust in him. If that's you today, right now across this room, would you just stretch up your hand and say, include me in that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Is anybody else, you say, include me in that prayer. Just be bold. You want to join those three. Here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to pray with them. If I didn't see your hand, heaven saw it. We're going to pray with those who want to make that decision. And I could give you the words, but you've got to mean them in your heart. So let's pray it all together. Those of you who raised your hand, just pray this to heaven. And all of us pray it with them. Come on, church. Say, dear Jesus, I repent. I surrender to you. I put my trust in you. Forgive me for my mistakes. Come and change me. Fill me with your presence. Help me to follow you. Say these words. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for this great journey of faith. Lord, I thank you for the steps as we take them that you help us to put our trust in you. That you're with us every step of the way, God. And so we begin to believe and to trust you again. God, I pray that we wouldn't just have an ideology. But Lord, that we would put it into practice in our lives. That we begin to put our trust and our hope and our belief in you. And we begin to let our lives reflect that trust. God, we thank you that as we keep our eyes on Jesus. That you'll help us every step of the way, God. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every person watching online, every person listening to this message. Build our faith. Help us to trust again. Give us your presence again, Lord, as we walk in a belief in you. God, we thank you that you're in an ever-present help in times of trouble. God, for every person who's walking through adversity, every person who's walking through tragedy, Every person, God, who's looking to you, that you said in your word that you are close. That you are ever-present help. So I pray a blessing over them, Lord. Lord, we believe that you are who you say you are. God, we believe and we declare that you can do what you say you can do. That you love us. And so we say this all together as one church, that you are our God and we are your people. And we praise you and we worship you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, amen and amen.